10.40 for Luke, verses 51 to 62. Samaritan opposition. As the time approached for him to be taken up to, to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was leading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus returned and rebuked them. And he and his disciples went to another village. The cause of the following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who, who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Dee. Let's, let's pray together and then we'll look at that, uh, look at that together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we pray that this, uh, these words of yours that are recorded in your word, the Bible, would be living and active in our lives and in our hearts today, uh, that we would, we would hear what you say to us, and we'd respond in obedience and in faith. Amen. So um, some of you might have just shared a journey that you set out on uh, where it turned out to be a lot more difficult than you expected at the start of the journey. I'm not going to get people to share those, but I'll tell you uh, mine. Some of you have probably heard this story, so you might know what's coming. Uh, last year, um, as elders, we went to climb Mount Snowdon together in Wales. And, and I've done, I've climbed Mount, I mean, I'm not bragging, but I've been up there at least three times. I mean, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? Um, uh, including with children and myself when I was a child, and I've always made it to the top. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good climb, but it's, it's never been uh, too bad. But I guess I've always done it in okay weather. And so I was expecting it to be straightforward as the other times when we went to Snowdon together. And, and indeed, the night before, as we sat on, on, kind of on the foothills of Snowdon and had a drink and looked out in the sunset, it, it all seemed well and good uh, until the next day was, was a, a Snowdon July day, uh, the next Saturday. And it was wind and it was rain. And I've got a picture. I mean, it doesn't quite reflect it um, if this works. Yeah, the clicker doesn't seem to be working today, guys. Mark, do you mind... Um, do you mind driving? There's quite a few slides, but there we are. That's us on Snowden. You can't quite see it, but it's basically bleak. It's, it's windy, and it's, it's wet, and, uh, and uh, as the weather closed in, we, we didn't make it. We didn't make it to the top, um, and we had to come down, and, uh, and it was much more difficult than we expected. We weren't prepared for what came our way, and so we, we didn't make it up. Okay, go. Yeah, next one. Thank you. Um, now, our series in Luke's Gospel uh, this past year is called Walking with Jesus. Luke is all about the rescue mission of Jesus, seeking and saving lost people like you and like me, and bringing us into the amazing new life in the kingdom of 
God, the life that we've been made for. And all the way so far, basically in Luke, we've been in, in part one of his story. There's three parts, and he's been traveling around doing his ministry in Galilee. And generally, what we've been seeing is this beautiful insight into the life of God's kingdom as Jesus invites people to follow him. And it's this incredible thing. He especially goes to the least and the last and the lost. And we've seen amazing acts of power and deliverance and healings. And he's drawing close to the outcasts and the needy, isn't he? And he's inviting people in to the life in God's kingdom to follow him. Now, in verse 51 of chapter 9, the first verse that Dee just read to us, there's a pivot from part one to part two of the story. And... And Jesus has now finished his ministry in Galilee, and now he's starting on the road to Jerusalem. And then we'll get to part, part three, who knows when, but at some point in the future, he, he arrives in Jerusalem chapter 19, and part three is what you call the passion, the last week of his life, his, his suffering and his resurrection in Jerusalem. Now, we're going to take a break from Luke after today, because we've basically got to the end of part one. We've been going a year, and so we figure it's kind of, maybe we should keep things fresh. And we'll come back to, to two and three in the future. But, but today's a sneak peek, really, of what comes in part two. And this is where Jesus teaches his followers, who in part one, he's been inviting people to come follow him, come to his life in the kingdom. Now he teaches them what it looks like to follow him along life's path. What it looks like to walk with Jesus through life. Now, we need to pay attention so that we're prepared for the journey ahead, and we're not caught off guard when the going gets tough so that we bail. Today, our passage is these two conversations in these two villages along the way to Jerusalem. They show us something, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, but also how we often struggle to get or to accept that. So, um, next slide, please, guys. The costly way of Jesus. See, before we consider what it looks like for us to follow Jesus, we need to see where Jesus has gone, where he's going. Now, just think for a moment how remarkable this verse 51 is. Just, just look down at, uh, at it with me again. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The time is approaching for Jesus to return to heaven, to be welcomed back into the glory from where he and where he's going to rule and reign over all things. That time is coming. So he, he heads for where? For Jerusalem. He, he sets his face towards it. He deliberately goes there. Now, Jerusalem is the place where Jesus knows, as he's already spoken to his disciples about a couple of times we've seen in the last few weeks, he'll be rejected. He'll be pinned to a cross and hung up to die at the hands of people. So why does Jesus head for Jerusalem as the time for him to be taken up to heaven approaches? They just, heaven's up here in Jerusalem, dying on a cross, they seem completely at odds. Well, the reason is this. Jesus knows that the way back to the glory of heaven is via the cross and the tomb. He'll be received into heaven again, yes. And he'll be received there because he has fulfilled his life mission and his work on the cross will be an acceptable sacrifice to Father God. This just throws the disciples' heads out. They just can't get it. it it's not what they like to hear, but they also just can't get their heads around it. You know, as we've been walking through Luke this past year, as we've preached through it, we've spoken a lot about the cross of Jesus. And, and that makes 
sense because we only make proper and full sense of what's going on in Luke because we know the end of the story, don't we? And we've read through 10 of the stories. We've spoken about the cross and we've spoken about the resurrection and we know where it heads and it helps us make sense of these things we're reading. But for the people at the time, before the cross has happened, they've got a few hints here and there. Jesus says this stuff, but for them, it's just, that is just out of their frame of reference. They're not thinking of the cross consciously at all. That's the last place they expect to see Jesus. You know, at this point, Jesus is pretty much at the height of his popularity. So that their expectations is that he's going to, if he's going to go to Jerusalem, it's going to be as this like populist kind of champion of the people, this kind of revolt of the everyday people. And as he goes to the capital, and it's going to be this, this victory or whatever else. But this talk of rejection and death, and this is a, a, a new and surprising direction for Jesus to take. And so we've seen they haven't got what he's been saying. They still don't get what he's talking about as he, as he talks about going to Jerusalem, being delivered into the hands of men and being rejected and, and dying. But Jesus knows. He knows what it will take to seek and save the lost. He knows what it's going to take to bring all of God's plans and all of God's purposes to completion. He knows what it's going to take to fulfill the promises and the potential of human living. And he knows it's going to involve going to the cross before the glory of heaven. And so he steals himself, and one step after another, he goes and he walks to Jerusalem to die. This is the costly way of Jesus. And here's the thing, guys he walked that way, he walked that path and that road for you and for me. He went there so he could take us with him into the life of heaven. The, the next slide, please. That's what it says in God's words. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How willing Jesus was to suffer in order to save the lost. Thanks. You can flick on the next one, Mark. It's remarkable then that people reject him and make that way harder still, isn't it? You see, to get from, um, let's see if the, this pointer works. Yeah, it does. To get from Galilee in the north here to Jerusalem in Judea in the south, you've got this area called Samaria in, in the middle. And so you have to go through Samaria to get to Judea. Or you could do the long route round if you really want to, which I'll tell you, plenty of Jews did. Because Samaritans, people from the region of Samaria, did not take very kindly to Jewish pilgrims passing through on their way to their religious festivals. They made it very clear they weren't welcome. They would attack them. They would beat them. They would rob them. Sometimes they'd even murder them as they passed through. There's this long history of beef between the Samaritans and kind of the pure Jews. The Samaritans have become this mixed people group with these mixed religious practices and beliefs. Uh, about a thousand years ago, they departed from the, the pure ways of following the God of the Bible when they turned aside to worship other gods uh, and from other nations. And so the Assyrian king at the time settled Samaria with people from all over the world with all of their religious practices and beliefs and, and this kind of stuff. And, and so the Samaritans in a the day, they represent spiritual compromise. They represent selling out spiritually uh, as the people of God. If we have the next slide, this is what was said about them. Even while these people were worshipping the Lord, they were serving their idols. 
And they passed it on from one generation to the next. To this day, their children and their grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. Thanks. The next slide. And so the Samaritans' hearts are in two places. They're kind of for the God of the Bible, but they're kind of also for other things as God, whatever they might be. They're not wholehearted for God. They kind of got this mix and match spirituality. And so this causes all kinds of tensions between Samaritans and, and Jews, like Jesus and his mates. And so Jesus sends his mates into this Samaritan village to get ready for, for his arrival. So given that context, it's not surprising that they don't welcome them. Their background and their cultural prejudices are causing them to reject Jesus and, and push him away. Now, do you see how Jesus' friends respond? James and John are absolutely fuming. The angry men who don't take well to being disrespected. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Jesus called these guys, their brothers, the sons of thunder. And you see why here. These are the kind of guys who like, they pull a knife on someone because they cut them up on the road or something. They're just, they're just always they're just angry and they're just ready to, to brawl at any moment. What do they expect Jesus to say? Where have they seen in Jesus anything approaching this kind of attitude or this kind of treatment of people or this kind of activity? Have they not listened to what he's been saying? No, 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 guys. I'm resolutely going to Jerusalem so I can give myself up for destruction for people. Not, I'm not here to destroy people. I'm going to give myself over to destruction. Jesus turns and he rebukes them. And they will learn as they walk along with Jesus to Jerusalem. And they will learn as they stand just a few months later and watch him be pinned to a cross by Roman soldiers. And they will learn as they hear from the cross his cry of forgiveness for those who are executing him and causing such pain to him as he gives up his life. And they will realize as they see him rise to new life and ascend up to heaven that Jesus is not the destroyer, but the saviour. And they will learn that the way of the cost is uh, the, the way of Jesus is a costly way. The way of the cross through life, the way of love and grace, the way of forgiveness and, and patience, the way of love for enemies and, and restoration for those who have fallen. It's absolutely crazy, but it is so so beautiful. In fact, they're not just, it's not just going to be something that they kind of get and they learn in their head, but it's going to be something that totally transforms them from the inside out. John, this John here, called down fire from heaven to destroy them because they've annoyed us today. He's going to become known as a man of love. He's going to turn from a man of a fiery temper to a man of a fire of love and patient long-suffering for the sake of Jesus and people. In fact, we have the next slide. He will later write this uh, famous uh, writing to Christians. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Fire from heaven? Dear friends, let us love. For love comes from God. Sounds like a different man, doesn't it? Well, it is a different man. 
Same guy, but a different man. One transformed by Jesus. One who followed Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem to die. And one who spent a lifetime following the way of Jesus. Experiencing his love and his care. So we can be changed in the same way that John was changed. In that kind of way. If we experience that kind of love from Jesus. That kind of costly love. The one who gave himself to destruction for us on the cross. So that we might be saved and we might have eternal life. We can be changed from the inside out just like John. This is the costly way of Jesus. This um, might be next slide or maybe two. Yeah, here we are. This is it. Thanks, Mark. I think that's it now. Your job's done. (laughs) Following the costly way of Jesus. We were talking in our uh, Gospel Family Night this week about... How, li- how, how hard life can often feel. And, and someone said, I, pre- I would prefer some easier sanctification. That just means becoming more godly, uh, more, more like God. I prefer some easier sanctification than I'm experiencing right now. Can't I just read a book about how to be changed and then it happens? Why does my experience have to be like this? Well, those of us around the table said, yeah, we can relate to that feeling. Often life can feel hard, and we wonder, wonder, why is it so hard? Surely there must be an easier way. Surely I'm doing this Christian life thing wrong. But as it goes for Jesus, so it goes for us. We want the shortcut. We want the godliness without the growing pains. We want the glory without the cross. But that is not the way of Jesus. And it's not the way of a follower of Jesus. We can't make this way an easy path to follow. That's not my job for you guys, to make it an easy path to follow. I know we'd like that ourselves. I've tried it myself. I'm sure you have many times. I know sometimes we think if we just made it seem easier to follow, then maybe more people would want to come and join us. Maybe the church would grow a bit more and, it, you know, it, it, it just make it a slightly easier thing to take. Well, here Jesus is in Luke's gospel and he's on his way to the cross and he's teaching his disciples, those who would follow him. He's teaching them and us something of the cost of the life of being a Jesus follower. What well, elsewhere he calls life on the narrow path, not the broad road. Uh, Now, let's just be clear. There's no such thing as a Christian who isn't a disciple. No such thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus. Sometimes I think we talk about people who are into discipleship and then other Christians. That, That just does not exist. This is not a message for the super keen ones. This is for all of us and any of us who identify as Christians. And sometimes we struggle with what Jesus says, doesn't we? And we think, how is this good for me, Jesus? I think it's okay to sometimes struggle and to ask that question, but it's also helpful to say, and this is what I figure, given he loved me enough to go to the cross for me, then maybe I can trust him that it is good for me, even when I can't see it, or or I struggle to understand how. Given he rose from the dead and people saw him ascend into heaven and be received as the king of all, I can trust his word and it must be good and it must be true even if I'm struggling to see it in my situation or in my moment. 
Listen, if we walk with Jesus on our path through life, it will be by no means easy or straightforward. But it is a path that leads to eternal life. It's a cross, yes, but it's also the glory of heaven. The broad road, the easy road through life, Jesus warns us is one that leads to destruction. We're a bit like the Samaritans, aren't we? For all of us, there are things in life that that hold us back from following Jesus wholeheartedly. I wonder what those things are for you. You know, those things that are are very precious to us. Listen, they're often very good things. But they have a hold on our hearts in a way which isn't good. And when push comes to shove, they mean more to us than Jesus does. For some of us, it's our family relationships in our families. For others, it's financial security and comfort. Maybe for others, it's our reputation, what others think of us. For others, it's a certain lifestyle that we just can't give up and just has a hold on us. For others, it's a particular relationship that we feel we must have or we need or or we deserve. Maybe for others, it's our children and the future that we want for them. And these can all be good things. But if we're honest... They often come before Jesus for us. And this is the live issue for these three potential followers of Jesus in the next village on his journey in verse 57 and following. And the big question for them and for us is, will you follow Jesus even when it costs you? Will you follow Jesus even when it costs you? Now, what Jesus says here seems a bit random and maybe a little bit full on, but the general idea is crystal clear. Following Jesus involves a complete life reprioritization. It's not just a lifestyle choice. It's not just an upgrade. It's not just Jesus as an accessory to life or a community to belong to or some friends to make or something to do on a Sunday. But no, it's a complete life reorientation. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Either he is the defining thing in your life who comes before and above all else, or we haven't really grasped who he is and what he's offering us. You see, these three people that come to Jesus, they, they seem keen, they seem interested and well-intentioned. They want to follow him. But all this other stuff just gets in the way. The first, the first guy there in 57, he's the guy who hasn't counted the cost. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Wherever you lead me, I'm with you. Will you really? Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Will you follow me into poverty? Into financial insecurity? Into a more difficult life situation? When it makes you less popular, less liked? Are you all in to follow through that? The second guy wants to bury his dad before following Jesus. He's either caring for his dad in his old age, and he's, kind of, he's, he's saying, look, I need to wait for my dad to die before I can leave. Or, or his dad has just died, and he's, he's, he's focusing on, on the very important and very involved funeral and grieving arrangements of that time and place according to the law. Well, listen, I, I think burying your dad's probably about as good an excuse as you can get, right? It's completely legit. Completely legit on one level. But that's just the thing. For this guy, it's an excuse. At the end of the day, 
It's an excuse. It's a reason to keep following Jesus at arm's length, to put it off to tomorrow what he's calling him to do today. The, the third person, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me take care of, uh, of this thing. They seem keen, but actually it has other things that have caught their heart, and they're not quite ready to let go of those things and to leave them behind. And Jesus says, listen, you can't follow me if you're looking over your shoulder all of the time. Looking back at what life might have been without me or, or, or what you let go or, or let go of or, or what might have happened if you weren't following me. Basically, that's half in, half out. These are people who are drawn to Jesus, interested in following him, but other things at the end of the day take priority for them. And two of them, do you see what they say to Jesus? Yes, I will follow you, but first let me. But first. Jesus, you're great. You're really important. But hold on a sec. There's this other thing. There's this other situation. There's this other person. You know, it, it means a lot to me. So I'm just going to focus on this for now. And Jesus, yeah, I'll come to you. I'll come to you tomorrow or next week or next month or, or next year. Or when that's sorted, I, yeah, Jesus, I'm into you. But first, let me. Jesus, I believe in you, but I want to be popular at school. So can I follow you when I'm older? Jesus, yeah, I believe in you, but I want to enjoy the student life, you know. So after I've graduated, then I'll, then I'll take you seriously. Jesus, you're great, but I've really got to focus on my kids right now. I'll make space for you when they've left home and we've got through that, that phase safely. Jesus, you know, at, at this stage, my career just really needs my focus and my attention. If I just, if I get that next promotion or, or when I'm at the top, yeah, well then Jesus, I'll have, I'll have time and space and priority. Yeah, then I'll come, come to you. Oh Jesus, you know, I just want to enjoy my retirement. I, I've earned it. I've got heaven to worship you in, haven't I, Jesus? And in the middle of it all, through a whole lifetime, Jesus says, verse 59, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Drop your excuses. Drop your reasons not to. Drop these priorities that hold us back and wholeheartedly and wholelifely follow Jesus. Stop being distracted. Stop looking back over your shoulder and deliberately and resolutely and set your face on Jesus as he set his face on Jerusalem and on us as he went to the cross, and follow where he leads, whatever the cost. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. Now listen, as, as we close, what so, happen, what so often happens with the word of God is that we're encouraged by what we hear in it, and we're also exhorted, which means to be um, urged on and, and challenged and provoked by it. We're, we're encouraged and we're exhorted. So I just want to think about how we're encouraged and exhorted by this. And the first thing I want to say is be encouraged. So many of you are counting the cost of following Jesus in so many different ways. Sitting in this room are people who have left home and country and family to serve Jesus. Sitting in this room are people who have downgraded their lifestyle out of a love for Jesus 
and the lost. Sitting in this room are people who give hundreds and hundreds of pounds away every month for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. Because they know that their treasure is in heaven and not on earth. Sitting in this room are people who are seeking grace and faithfulness in really difficult relationships because of their faith in Jesus. We have people who who show radically in ordinary hospitality day after day, week after week. Even when it costs them. There are people who serve again and again and again, even when they're struggling with it in their heart. There are people whose situation at home is very difficult because they're trying to honor Jesus in those relationships. There are people who are counting the cost of godly singleness because Jesus asks it of you. There are people who bear the burdens of others because you believe in the good of the church. There are people who are less popular at work because they speak of Jesus. Guys, just wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. That's not natural. That's, that, in fact, that's really weird. <laughs> You're not weird. <laughs> that is an almighty work of the Spirit of God in people's hearts and in their lives. Not one of you would do any one of those things, and certainly not in the ways and the extent to which you did were it not for the Spirit of Christ at work in you. Yes, it's a costly path, but it is the path Jesus went on before you. And following, by definition, is just going where someone else has already gone and where they're leading. He has gone before us. He now walks with us along this path of life. He leads us through it, and he leads us through the death of it and the cost of it, yes, but he also leads us through it into the joy of eternal life. Look, this has got to encourage us. We need to encourage one another. You were probably thinking of names when I was saying things. Yeah, that's that person. Yeah, that's that person. Yeah, that's that group of people. Encourage one another in these things. But also, also this exhorts us, doesn't it? This exhorts us. We, we are strongly urged on by this because all of us have areas of our life where we're doing all that we can to avoid the Christian life being costly to us. Too often we want Jesus, yes, but we also want the world. We want this, or we want that, or we want the other. And we can spend so much of our life making these excuses and justifying things. And some of us can even use theology to do it. Because we can build a case for these things. Where Jesus is important to us, yes, but you play second fiddle to something else, or anything else, or anyone else, or whatever else. Listen, where is that for you? Given our culture and the world we're in, and, and quite frankly, what I know of us, it's likely to be around these three things. It's money, comfort, and security. An easier life. It's reputation and success. A more popular life. And it's sex and relationships. A more intimate life. An easier, more popular, a more intimate life. Yes, Jesus, but this thing this person, this relationship, that, this, the other. And Jesus calls us this morning to follow him out of compromise, out of half-heartedness, and just like we've read of his disciples in Luke, to leave everything behind and follow him. Yes, it will cost you dearly. 
I'm not going to lie to you and say it won't. And it will cost us differently for each of us. But guys, you gain absolutely everything in Christ. You gain everything and more. What does it benefit us to gain the whole world and lose our soul? Sometimes it feels like Jesus is making big and difficult asks of us, but he never asks us to follow where he has not already gone. He never asks us to do what he wouldn't do himself. And so the cost of Jesus and the call of Jesus on us comes only after we've seen the way of Jesus for us. The one who came from heaven to the cross to die out of love for us, to give his life, to bring us into his kingdom. And so don't make the mistake, as much as we've got to own up to and be honest about the cost of this, don't make the mistake of thinking it's only costly. You only lose out. That can be further from the truth. This is the way of, this is the way to life and life to the full forevermore and everlasting. Life in this life and life to come. So when you follow this way, be real about it. Know that it's costly, but do it with joy. Do it with hope. Do it with happiness and gladness and expectation and confidence. Knowing that you are, you are his and he is yours. Knowing that he walks with you. Through death, yes, but into everlasting delight of eternal life. That's the promise. That's the encouragement as well for us as we close. The musicians are going to come up and we're going to, we're going to sing in response. Can I just invite everyone to stand with me before we sing? And as we stand, let's just have a moment for us to reflect, a moment of quiet before we sing, for us to reflect on what the Spirit has said to us today, where we're encouraged, where we are exhorted in our lives. Let's just reflect on that and then come and lead us as we sing.